Radio Newark, the home of Radio Newark Sport. Weeknights from 7. Radio Newark Sport. Brought to you with Smith's Timber Merchants. For all your fencing, decking and DIY needs on Appleton Gate, Newark. Visit smithstimber.co.uk. Tonight, Newark Athletic Club's very own Owen Yeomans is this week's Golden Old Day. And Dave Forger updates us all on the Not Fast News. But before that, it's the headlines on the renowned and the sometimes controversial Radio Newark Sport. And a single mark, Ellison goal was enough for Newark to beat Southall in the Veterans Local Derby at Lowfields. I bet they enjoyed that one. And in doing so, cemented the home side's runners-up spot in the league. A sunny weekend saw Newark Tennis Club's mixed seconds and the ladies first in action. The mixed team, with some new pairings, all win the, all win the majority of their games as they triumphed 72-36 over Cornton. The ladies weren't quite as successful. They suffered a defeat at Woodsport. And as Graham told us last night, it was a busy weekend for the Striders. Tom Spellman and Lyndon Madden took the distance honours by competing in the 10-mile race in County Galway, of which Tony and I decided that was the one that we would have liked to have done. Full Striders report on our social media pages. Newark Athletic Club's Lee Braithwaite ran the games for 10k as part of his marathon build-up, finishing a time of 40.54. The William Gladstone School played three games in the small school's primary netball tournament at Newark Academy, scoring 21 times and conceding none. A great spirit and working well as a team, they beat Highfields 4-0, Bishop Alexander 7-0 and Muscombe 10-0. And they are next in action at the NDS PPA Netball Tournament at the Magnus on Saturday, April 27th. And in a couple of minutes, Tony's going to tell us what NSPPADYA means. No, he isn't. <laughs> Two massive local football matches tonight. When you finish listening to us, go to Station Road, where Collingham take on Appleby Frodingham in the semi-final of the Central Midlands um, Floodlit Cup. Pinkston await the winners there. They beat Hucknall 4-3 after extra time with a last gasp penalty. Must have been a cracking match. <laughs> While at Lowfields tonight, Flow Serve Reserves, um, the title chasing Flow Serve Reserves, no less, take on Cotgrave Reserves. I've worked out the four victories from their last six matches. Should just about see the job done. The Lee Julians boys. Me thinks promotion. So I take it that's your adopted school then now, is it? I am their lollipop man, yes. All right. Well, they've adopted you, have they? Yes, sir. They're, they're, they're very understanding. They all, they all uh, pray and make the sign of the cross as they cross the road. But, <laughs> um, they're, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had, I've had uh, n- no deaths yet. That's a result in my business. No, and the amount of people I've told to aim for you. <laughs> how many that times, explains an awful how lot. How many times over the years... If your sports report started, my sports report started with a single Mark Ellison goal. <laughs> I mean, that's rolling back, isn't it? Is that the, the veterans? Yeah. Yes. I, you know, I mean, yeah, lovely <laughs> lad is Mark. But I was there. 
You was there for that, wasn't I, you? I was there. A local derby against Southland. I don't care, veterans or not veterans, that would have gone down well. I was talking to a great friend of this radio station, uh, Mrs Ellison. Okay, yes. And, and Helen was uh, watching him play and saying how much he's going to be grumbling over the next few days about which parts of him are aching after the match. <laughs> and it's not nine o'clock yet, so we're not taking that one any further. Um... We're doing a little sort of, every now and again, we're doing a Golden Oldies Night. And we've had Richard Byram in when we spoke rugby. We've had Paul Johnson. John has been in countless times. So we talked, we generalised, didn't we, about mm. cricket. But tonight, I want to do the traditional Golden Oldies Night because the, the young man that is going to talk to us tonight is um, a Newark Athletic Club store for, well, we'll find out how many years, but... I think it's at least 40 years um, that he's been involved with our athletic club. And as ever on these nights, Tony. Well, I really enjoy these golden oldies nights. Um, but it's the first time we've actually had somebody in who's actually older than us. Which, which is quite a good effort, really. <laughs> so I'm calling him a golden old, but you're saying an old one. If he stays, it's going to be a good show. However, my next line will make him stay, because when I uh, first moved to Newark in 1986 as a sports editor at the Advertiser, obviously the first thing, having moved down from um, South Yorkshire at the time, was to get your contacts going. And my first contact uh, was Owen Yeomans at the Athletic Club. Um, got on well with him straight away. Uh, we both had a, a great love of Wales. And um, basically, uh, he actually doesn't look a day older than it, <laughs> when, when he's in here now than he did then. And uh, I've been, been a great friend, a great friend of, of the advertiser as well. And uh, knows, knows my wife Lucy very, very well. And uh, it's just great to see him and have, have him along here this evening. So that was a last-ditch attempt to keep him here, then, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Would I like a cup of tea? <laughs> <laughs> Owen, welcome to, to Radio New York Sport. Yeah. Uh, for the next 50 minutes, it's unashamedly about you. Um, I've had my spies out, as we, you will find out as we go through, as we go through the night, talking yeah. about you. Um, if it's all right, I've done my own work. If it's all wrong... I know who to blame. <laughs> Let's put it like that. Um, Obviously, as good journalists, we can't mention names like Gareth Bagley. <laughs> Never heard of him. <laughs> um, as Tony's already said, though, you, you're, you're not a, a Newarker. Um, you are now, but um, um, let's go right back to the beginning then, Owen, can we? And yeah. start, uh, start in North Wales, I believe. Yes, I was born and brought up in a little town called Honeywell, which is about halfway between Chester and Rail on the North Wales coast in 1938 tell me tell me tell me the the idyllic early days living i mean i've always wanted to live by the coast but you was born you was born by the coast and now you've moved inland but what what's your your early memories we'll, we'll get to athletics eventually but what 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 can you remember about those early days on the north wales coast well, from the house I lived in, which was on a hill above the coast, you could look across the uh, D estuary, World Peninsula, Liverpool's two cathedrals, you could see the Mersey right up to the uh, Lake District. So it was uh, <laughs> a wonderful scene from the bedroom window. <laughs> and I would, wow. I would sort of indulge me for a couple of minutes. Um, I would suggest 
you you couldn't count the amount of ships and everything going in and out of Liverpool. No, you could see them all. Um, the, when I was fairly young, the, I was obviously born before the war, and you could see the convoys going in and out of Liverpool during the war years, um, and see the bombs being dropped on Liverpool and things. So, <laughs> you know, it, there was problems at that time. When you looked out of the window, you could see all sorts of things happening. Uh, how does how does I'm intrigued? Or I'm intrigued? Or is it? This is going to be fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I'm intrigued. So you're looking on from a, a safe distance. How how did that affect a young a young child? Did it affect a young child by seeing people's properties being being blown up and, pe- and pe- people dying? Well, it did. Yes. I was a little bit young to appreciate the full significance of it, but uh, they did drop a few bombs that they'd still got stuck when they came out away from Liverpool, so we had a few fall round where we were. And I can always remember going down the fields at the back of the house to have a look at the uh, bomb crater and the sort of uh, wardens, air wardens coming and saying, uh, clear off, clear off, we don't know whether it's exploded yet. And us then running like mad up the field <laughs> as fast as we could go. <laughs> Which is one way of getting rid of us anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, I think they've got that worked out, haven't they? <clears throat> School life in, in North Wales? Yes, um, rather strangely, my infant school is now, has been moved from its original position and placed at the bottom of the Greenfield Valley, which is a tourist attraction, and it's a historic monument. And uh, some years ago, I went back to my hometown and had a walk down the valley, and somebody invited me, oh, you, perhaps you'd like to go into this uh, school building and uh, see how it worked in those days, and you could sit at the desk. So I said, no, thank you, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> Is, um can I, can I just say this point? Yes. Um, I, 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 are, you, are you stopping? <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, there's, um, there's, there's a guy that um, the listeners, I'm sure, will, will know very well. He used to work at the advertiser, Billy Phillips. Uh, was a great friend to many in Newark. And he was born and bred in Rill. And he always t- told me of, of a many, many gallons of beer that living in Newark having moved away from the coast, he sometimes felt very trapped because he was inland mm. and there wasn't an outlet of the sea. Did, did you feel that when you moved? Uh, yeah, the two uh, things across. I missed, of course. One way, you looked out of our house and you could see the mountains, and the other way, you looked out and you could see the sea. And then I came to live in Newark, and I could neither see mountains nor the sea, which was a bit of a shock. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can imagine that one. I don't think you can count Beacon Hill, can you? <laughs> Well, somebody, we took a group to the Lake District from the college where I worked, and uh, I said to somebody, have you been into this sort of area with hills before? And she said, well, I went up Beacon Hill once, (laughs) (laughs) which as we were going up Scarfield Pike was a little bit sort of... A little bit different. different. (laughs) Mind you, Tony always tells me the story when he was driving up Beacon Hill and Becky gathered past him running up Beacon Hill. (laughs) I mean, he loves that one. I've never seen anybody run like that. (laughs) Their feet weren't touching the ground. Um, Athletics from a very early age, though, because, again, my spy tells me that your first club was... Wrexham, but it's uh, it wasn't the easiest to get to. No, I used to have to take a bus 
and then a train journey and then another bus to get from my house to Wrexham. So it was a rather a long way. But there was a, a very, very good secretary of the Wrexham Athletic Club and I've always tried to sort of do the same sort of thing as he did, which was try and encourage people. And he used to sometimes come and if we were going further down the Welsh coast, he would come and pick me up, which saved me a long, long journey. How did you find athletics what why athletics or, or did it just happen well when i was about nine i was playing for the school football team and i was told by the master in charge of football and in everything else uh, that i would never make a footballer because i wore glasses so i decided well i'll do something else then and i, I uh, started to run and um it just developed from that. So really, I owe him a great deal of gratitude for putting me off playing football because I, I would never have got anywhere with playing football as I have with athletics. So, so we're on memories again and the early days of the athletics meetings with Wrexham. Yeah, well, I, I, first of all, um, the school... Uh, I was going to Hollywood Grammar School, decided that they would have a club, but it wasn't a formal thing. And so we used to run for Hollywood Grammar School in the local North Wales Championships and things. So I ran for them, and then when I went to university, somebody said, oh, you really ought to join Wrexham because they're a much higher standard. Because I'd won um, North Wales. Of course, I've got to talk in half miles and miles because we didn't have 800 and <laughs> 1,500 in those days. It was a half mile and a mile and a quarter mile and things. But, uh, um, you know, when you talk to some youngsters now, they think, what was that sort of? <laughs> and uh, as I found once, jumping ahead, but when I was helping down at the athletics club once a girl came to me and she said i've just high jumped three meters and i said oh well that's very good and then suddenly thought to myself oh that's a bit hang on a minute hang on a minute and uh, we were in fact using the um old feet and inches tape so she'd actually high jumped three foot not three meters <laughs> <laughs> lauren or tilly i wonder which one um, <laughs> what Obviously, I, I take it after school. That was the time. Then you left North Wales. Was it? Was it sort no, of? No, I, I, I went. Days or? I went to university in Aberystwyth, and uh, that was. A, That's the other way. Yeah, and it was. Uh, I was there for about five years, six years, and uh, used to run for the college. I ran for the universities of Wales combined. We went over to Dublin to run uh, against the Irish universities and an Ireland select. Uh, and um, during that time, I won the mile of the uh, well, or the whole of the Welsh universities uh, championships. Um, also, did a steeplechase in a rash moment, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on one occasion was persuaded because we were one short to do the. Uh, the high hurdles and couldn't move for about a week afterwards <laughs> <laughs> and that remained at one occasion yes the it? one occasion <laughs> <laughs> so you you weren't too bad at this running lot then <laughs> mm, well no on, probably no, not forget the modesty <laughs> yeah. it was it was yeah. actually very good at this running lot yeah well i'd sort of uh, 
running the two minutes for the half mile. I run about 4.20 for a mile, um, 15 minutes just under for a three mile. So it was sort of reasonably good. My uh, notes say was a successful was successful as a miler at university. Yeah. Doesn't tell me it was the best in Wales. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a funny story about that because um, after I'd won the Welsh University's uh, mile race, uh, somebody from the, um, I think it was the, one of the Sunday newspapers, anyway, I think it was the Sunday Express, which I've never taken since, um, <laughs> because they said, I could be a miler with a great future, only I wouldn't take time off my studies to train. And as I was training twice a day, uh, I got an awful lot of flag for that from my all my teammates in, in, in the college. They said, well, how much more time can you give to train? It can, it can be unforgiving. It really can. How, I, I want to end this little section. How did you get to Newark? Um, I applied for a job at the local... Um, college here um, and was successful in getting the job. I was applying all over the place but uh, what they'd got to offer in Newark and tied in with what I wanted to do and so uh, I accepted the job when they offered it to me. That was in 1962. How often do you, just to finish this a little bit, how how often do you get back to North Wales and is it still lovely to go there? Yeah, I've still got a sister living there so um, I go back my parents have died now, but I, I go back sort of perhaps once every three months or something like that. And, and I just yeah, think it's changed beyond... Yes, I ran the uh, my old school cross-country course, and after living in Newark, as we said, with the ma- not many hills, I found it extremely hard. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do hills! Where have we heard that for? Oh, Adam Olin, that's it. Don't do hills! <laughs> So he moves to Devon. Yeah, okay. Right, um, much more to come because Owen has now got to Newark. The only problem is he didn't know there was an athletic club in Newark and we're going to hear about that story in about five minutes. And to keep the athletics theme um, going, it's time for Not Fast News with the one and only Dave. Not Fast Dave. How are you, Sorry, mate? Nick. I'm good, thank you. You're so. good. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you. Lovely, thank you very much. Yeah, quite a quite a bit over the last week, actually. Um, start off with the parklands. We have 38 club members over three different parklands. Uh, personal bests for Zana Perry, Vic Knight, Laura Smith and Nikki Dales. Now on to uh, races on Saturday. Uh, Sue and Steve Needham took part in the Clumber Park Duathlon. Sue completed the sprint, which is five kilometres run. 20 kilometres bike and 2.5k run, and that was in 1 hour 41.41. And Steve completed the full, which is a 10k run, 40k bike and a 5k run in 2 hours 56.02. In long distance walking, because obviously not fast, it's not just about running, this is walking too. Edward Caseborn and Stuart Astley, they were at the Charmwood Marathon. Edward did the 15 miles in 7 hours 25, and Stuart did the 27 mile in 8 hours 32. Kira Green was in Yorkshire, completing in two events. The first one on Saturday was the Yorkshire Cakeathon, which was 13.4 miles in 3 hours 13.08. And Sunday was the Yorkshire Chocathon at 6.6 miles in 1 hour 34.03. I'm just going to stop you, Dave. Dave wait, yep. wait, wait, wait. The Yorkshire you- 
Cake-a-thon and, and chocathon. No, actually, yeah, that, actually, that would appeal to Notfast. You did hear that correctly. <laughs> that's brilliant. That, that's a <laughs> Isn't it just? Cracking about, names. Apparently, the, the goodie bags were, were fantastic and lived up to their names. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, so no. I, I just I, what, what's he just said? <laughs> <laughs> um, now on to Sunday. Um, quite a few members uh, across the country. Three of our members were in the uh, were in London for the London Landmarks Half Marathon. Uh, Gemma Lindsay got a new personal best in two hours twenty four fifty five. Kirsty Watson two hours twenty five seventeen, and Suzanne Catley also got a new personal best in two hours twenty and fifty. We had eight members at the Ashby 20-mile race. Uh, quite a hilly one, as I understand. Damien Davies came in first for the club, 2 hours 17.27. Simon Locke in 2 hours 38.53. Janet Davis, 2 hours 48.45. Steve White, 2 hours 51.49. Martin Dickinson, 3 hours 10.32. Jeremy Reichel, our own chairman, in 3 hours 11.03. Nettie Stevens, 3 hours 35.40, and Nick Harrison, uh, 4 hours 23. And the uh, last roundup was uh, we had uh, 18 members at the uh, Clumber Park 10K for March. Now, if you remember, say, they do a free 10K monthly at Clumber Park. Uh, we had 18 members. I won't go through all the uh, results. They will be on the website, but some standout personal bests here for Kathy Clark. Uh, Ernie Clark is his best run post-operation. And Laura Smith, and Laura seems to be getting all the personal bests week on week, actually. So, uh, yeah, well done to everyone, um, everyone in the club there. I'm, I'm so pleased about Ernie. We've, we've said it before, but I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased. I think in Ernie's mind, at one stage, he probably thought his running days had, had gone. Exactly uh, that. You know, I'm sure that's what was going through his mind because even it was. He went even for Ernie. He went quiet. Well, yeah. even the time you got one hour is eight minute twenty four for a ten k after a hip operation is is it's absolutely fantastic. Um, so it certainly hasn't put him off, and it certainly hasn't dampened his spirit. No, we we, we can't uh, we can't lose people no, like no. any from the sporting scene. Um, it's can't. a quieter weekend coming up, though, isn't it? It seems all or nothing at the moment. It is, and we find we find that kind of coming into spring. Um, start of spring is uh, quite hard on the races. It filters out a little bit, but I think come end of April, um, beginning of May, we're, we're really going to start to pick up. Brilliant. Well, we'll 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 find out. You'll find something for next week. I'm sure. Well, I'm, I'm, sure I'm sure you will. And um, we'll uh, listen to it. And as you said, it's on the social media. It's on your social media. It's on our social media. Um, In- the weekly, not fast report. Dave, Indeed, thank you so much. Mm, pleasure, Mick. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. And of course, not fast, Dave and Graham from the Striders join us every week to tell us what's happening in their clubs. Um, we're in the wonderful company tonight of New York Athletic Club's Owen Yeomans, and it's a bit of a this is your life, really. We're going <laughs> to, we, we're a, we call it a golden oldies night because it makes me and Tony look young. Um, <laughs> Owen has got to the stage now where he's got a job at the college here in, in Newark. He's moved over to Newark and for some unearthly reason he's joined an athletic club that is not in Newark because he didn't know we'd got one. Um, over to you. Yeah. Well, I came in the September and at that time Newark hadn't got a, um, a cross-country section for the winter and road running wasn't all that popular at the time. So for the Winter of uh, 62, 63, I went over and ran for 
not say see uh, a few times just to keep going. And then uh, somebody told me, oh, Newark has got an athletic club. They operate in the summer. Uh, so I thought, well, I'm not travelling to Nottingham all the time when Newark's got a club, so I joined Newark. But what it needed is somebody to be an administrator, really, and, and help get this cross-country group going at Newark. And, um, again, as we've worked out by now, Gareth tells us that you are an absolutely wonderful, great <laughs> administrator uh, and was part of the original cross-country group um, alongside... Um, you actually took over from Secretary um, Al- um, Alan Hughes. Yeah, well, he did it for about three or four months and then said it was getting a bit much. So I said, well, look, I'll, I'll do it for the rest of the season while we look around for somebody else. And then 37 years later, <laughs> Gareth took over. <laughs> so it was a long season. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you, were, you intended to do it for... You actually said, I will do this... Till the end of the season. Till the end of the season, until they just sorted out. <laughs> yeah. How did they talk you into doing it for another 37? Well, nobody ever spoke about it. <laughs> <laughs> they just said, uh, oh, you can carry on, you can carry on. That's a secret, don't volunteer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't volunteer, take that Take that step back. You also mm. served as cross-country, on the cross-country executive for both the Midlands and and national level, so that was it, yeah, exciting. Well, um, the Midlands, uh, each... Uh, club is allowed to send so many people to the Midlands uh, meetings and then they said well we want some we want to broaden it out from the Birmingham area to get some people on the executive committee who are from what they called the more rural areas and the smaller areas and uh, so I got put on to be the um, representative there and then they said they wanted somebody to go on the national committee and so I you've still not, you'd still not committee. learned to take the step back instead of the <laughs> no, step forward no, had you no, no. <laughs> no I'm a sucker for sort of getting the jobs but, but it was quite interesting on the national thing because we had to go um, to vet out the courses and uh, I can always remember going down to Epsom and um, it was rather upmarket the went into the park and I was walking around the course with Basil Heatley who as some of you will know, got the silver medal at the Rome Olympic Marathon and we were vetting the course together. And this lady came up and she said, oh, we don't want your sort here running round the park and making it all untidy, at which point her dog uh, fouled the <laughs> footpath. And I thought, oh, well, at least we don't do that sort of thing on the park. <laughs> so... <laughs> It was quite a strange experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, of course, I mean, all, all that led then to the, the, the wonderful spectacle, the five national championships that, that Newark promoted, and those mm. wonderful success, and not only success on the field, but for Newark Athletic Club, it probably made it financially sound for, for years to come so i just want to just concentrate on now of i mean because tony would have been reporting on on those would you yeah i mean what i should have said if i was doing the job properly at the start is why start now is <laughs> <laughs> is basically um if it was football we would have had four legendary figures in the world of football in this town instead we had four legendary figures, national legendary figures, in Trevor Frecknell, Ken Rickers, Gareth Bagley, 
and of course Owen and and then like sort of you know it is honestly when 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 Paul Johnson came into the studio and I was told by uh, the former Grove teacher Dave Smith you are talking cricketing royalty here it's not just your mate Jono because you've, you've known him so long you, you, you tend to forget he's actually cricketing royalty and we have got one of the uh, athletic four of Newark here <laughs> you're one of the famous four now. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't think of a fifth to make it a famous five. But you're one of the I'd rather not four. be in the famous five. <laughs> um, the ladies' dog wasn't called Timmy, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, memories then of when the national championships came to little old Newark. Well, one of the biggest memories was uh, building the baths because there was always sort of problems with showers and things for <laughs> thousands of people so the stables on the showground we got some hay and put it on the uh, floor got some um, laths and nailed them around the wall and we got some very very thick um, plastic put it in and made a sort of a, a bath type shape and then British Sugar were very, very helpful. They sent two tankers full of boiling hot water. <laughs> and Newark Fire Brigade were also very, very helpful. They brought a lot of cold water and we filled these things with hot and cold water. And um, we did the same for the ladies in the old yellow building that's disappeared now. Um, and from the advertiser, we managed to borrow some um, rolls of print to block those large windows <laughs> and uh, we built the baths and the one thing we didn't have any problems with was volunteers for supervising the ladies baths um, we had to say that, well unfortunately we have to be sexist about this and it can only be ladies who <laughs> can do this particular job so but those are those volunteers for that as well <laughs> <laughs> no, you know the, the, things like that with local firms and organizations we couldn't have done it without their help, but it was just pulling it all together was the big job. And basically, Ken Rickus was the sort of leading light because he'd already done one uh, down at Tipton in the Midlands. So, uh, you know, he said to us, I think we'll do it. And we thought, oh, there's no way we can do it as a small organisation. But uh, we managed it. And I don't think any other single club has organised... It's always been groups that have organised the national. Before it, it is things. something that's never going to be repeated, isn't it? A club yeah, it the is, size yeah. of, of Newark, yeah. doing putting on something like it's never going to. We're never going to yeah. see that again. No, no. It uh, it got more and more and more expensive um, to get all the permissions and the road closures and things like that. Uh, and I I don't think the ground would now take the sort of um, number of people um, because you'd have to cross the road as we did but now with the extra traffic and things like that it, it would just be t too well, difficult. Um, how many, what sort of amount of runners did you have? Well we had uh, I think we were the first to have combined men's and ladies they used to have a ladies championships national championship men's national championships separate at different venues and we were one of the first to have them all together at one venue. So you could say there were about 2,000-odd in the senior men's race. And um, I should think there'd be 5,000 runners w with uh, then all their teams and 
followers and families and things. So I should think we would probably have about 10,000 or more people coming. And uh, it was one thing that somebody on the uh, council said to me, that uh, it has put Newark on the map far more than when they had uh, it's a knockout in the market square. (laughs) (laughs) They said because you can sit in the television, watch your television and think, oh, yeah, it's a knockout, Newark, oh, yeah. But they said when you've got that number of people having to find out where Newark is and come to Newark, that's the difference. Mm. You're also a qualified field judge. Um, (laughs) Now, now all you spoke really so far is it's track, but now we're going into the second discipline, so to speak. Yeah, well, uh, I sort of thought, actually, I, I find, I don't know whether it's my eyes or what, but I find it very difficult to watch people coming across the line to be a timekeeper or a, ti- a finishing line judge because I'm so busy cheering on somebody that I, <laughs> I, I... So I thought, well, the one thing where they do it singly is uh, on the, the field events. So... <laughs> I don't have to distinguish who's won the. <laughs> so, I thought, well, I'll I'll do the. Um, I'll become a field judge. I can always remember uh, one of the local Newark and district school sports um, being asked to be referee of the field referee, and uh, again I volunteered, and um, I can remember it was just at the time the Fosbury flop was being introduced. But nobody had got airbeds, right? You know, in schools and things. So they were trying to do the Fosby flop into a sandpit, landing on the back of the necks. So I thought, well, as the referee of the meeting, I'm going to have to stop this. So I said, <laughs> uh, no, we'll have to cancel this event, much to the disgust of all the uh, people who were involved in it. But I said, uh, we're going to have a nasty accident. Somebody's going to break their neck and. Uh, it's not something you, you, you no. yeah he could get away with it from years and years of training but it, it's not um gareth has sent quite a few messages and, and, and comments he's um, bless him um he says he first um, met owen in the autumn of 1970 i don't know if you remember this mm. when gareth ran his first race for newark at morton or borstal i don't <laughs> think he was in the borstal i think that's where the race was <laughs> i don't know um, i've met him <laughs> um and owen's advice to gareth that day was to drop out after four miles because he wasn't fit enough to run six <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted him to see him running again <laughs> harsh <laughs> But true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was absolutely brilliant. Um, the most memorable statement he, he, he thinks you ever made was when you was uh, was both leaving Newark on on a morning um, for the nineteen seventy two national. It was a glorious morning, and Owen said, "I think I'm going to enjoy running today." His next comment is, "I suggest you ask him what happened in the afternoon and where he finished." Owen, all yours. <laughs> well, I. I in, in that summer, I'd been out in Africa, and I'd come back, and I was about 13 stone um, in weight, carrying all before me. And uh, <laughs> I hadn't been able to get trained up properly during the winter, so I was still well overweight. But they needed somebody to make the team up, so I said I would run. And during the afternoon, the weather changed... And in the junior boys' race, it started to rain heavily. 
and in the um, senior race it started to snow and the snow got worse and worse and the streams were running through uh, Sutton Park first right lap ankle deep second lap half up the calf third lap nearly up to your knees as you went through the streams and I was getting further and further and further behind and uh, I think the only thing that saved me from serious problems was that I was so fat that uh, uh, I got this sort of permanent insulation uh, and I think yeah. I thought I'd finished last but they did find another fella uh, crawling along the ground <laughs> who I'd passed and uh, this is where I first met Ken Rickers there's this great big bloke striding round the uh, thing saying is there any more behind you lad and I said well there's one lying on the ground back there but I couldn't do anything for him because I'm struggling myself <laughs> Um, Gareth says he only ran again again she was at the back end of his career but it was good enough um, you were still good enough um, to run 10 miles in under one hour and a very very competent cross country runner so you say you knocked yourself down there but he's just built you back up again <laughs> if it's any consolation last time I was 13 stone I think it was about 10 <laughs> <laughs> months <laughs> Owen then went on um we're going to now talk about team management, which apparently you do in a quiet and efficiently manner. I never saw him get upset once, and he had this happy knack of allowing the athletes to let their own teammates know if um, someone was not pulling the weight. Is there a way to um, man-manage people? Well, yes, I think so, because uh, it's. N- I've always felt that if somebody's had a bad race, they know they've had a bad they don't need telling that they've had a bad race. What they need is to say, well, look, that was all. You don't need to say that was awful. They know it was awful. You just say, well, you know, now let's concentrate on the next race. What are we going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? And I can remember with one young fella, uh, his father was always cross with him at the end of a race, however well he'd done. And... Uh, I was asked to coach him and I said, well, the one thing that I would do was sort of, I would coach him because I was a qualified middle distance coach. And, but I said, one thing is you do not talk to him for at least an hour after the race because it was just depressing the lad completely. And I think by the end of the season, he'd knocked at least 10 seconds off his uh, (laughs) best previous best time which was pretty good uh, so it's it sort of knowing knowing the, the athletes some needed uh, a little bit more of a kick up the backside shall we say and others needed sort of um, jollying along and so that they, they knew they'd done badly and they didn't need telling because they just got upset and they just put them off it's amazing how many parents are qualified coaches in almost every single sporting discipline. That story reminds me of the of the story you tell about your lads in Whitley Bay, where, where they have uh, r- r- rugby and r- r- basically silence mornings. Silent mornings, yeah. yeah. The only people that can talk are, are the coaches and the captain, mm. uh, and, and that's it. And I tell you, it works perfectly. Uh, just to end this little section, I- I've got to ask you what you was doing on the morning of the time that Newark competed in the national six-stage road relay race at Crystal Palace, and um, when you was just going down to manage and to watch. Um, by the look on your face, um, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this. 
Well, uh, we we got two lads from uh, RAF Cranwell. Uh, one of them was a Scottish international. They'd been around all the clubs in the area, uh, the Rimmer brothers, and they decided Newark was a good, friendly, nice club, and they'd come and run for us when they weren't running for the RAF because they were both. And so we went down to the Midland uh, six stage, and you had to qualify for the national, and we qualified for the national. And uh, I'd gone down because my sister-in-law lives uh, in the uh, outskirts of London. So I'd gone down the night before so I could uh, get everything ready for when they all came down on a minibus, got the number, get the numbers around. And I just got to the uh, stage where I was leaving the house and uh, Gareth rang and said, uh, have you got your kit with you? So I said, well, yes, but uh, Why? He said, well, the Rimmer brothers have been confined to camp. <laughs> Everybody's been confined to camp. Uh, nothing to do with them, but everybody's... And they won't let them come. And uh, so we, we found Don Oz, who was another vet uh, in Newark, uh, shopping, and we grabbed him. If you've got your kit, we'll have six people to, to run. And uh, so we ran, and I think I just started off the last lap just as the winning team was coming up towards the finish line so we, we didn't cover ourselves with a great deal of glory on that occasion and it was a rather an embarrassing afternoon to say the least <laughs> there's no wonder gareth picks it up isn't, isn't they <laughs> right uh, more to come from owen this is fascinating spoke about a career in athletics we spoke about a lifetime in athletics but behind every good man there's a family there somewhere so uh, let's find out about owen's Owen's family and are you the only athlete in the family well yeah my, my wife uh, is uh, sort of she started teaching she taught uh, sciences and uh, games did you meet the wife when you did no. you come to New York first or did the no, wife no I, I um, well it did happen because uh, we were taking a group up to the Lake District and we needed one extra female to cover the regulations and the chap I was working with, his wife taught at the Grove School, and she was coming as one of the ladies, and uh, she'd been in college with Jackie, and she said to her, would you like to have a week in the Lake District? And uh, it went from there. <laughs> and that week has turned into? 52 years. 52. <laughs> well, that was a hell of a decision for her to make, to go for that week in the, that week in the Lake District. A yeah. good decision. Mind the, the 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 thing we always laugh about, and Gareth laughs about it too. We were short of a lady to put the shot. Now Tony knows my wife; she's about uh, seven, eight stone, dripping wet. I think, in about five foot two, and uh, so she said she'd have a go, and uh, just to get the point. Unfortunately, there was a lady called Joe Frampton from Notts, who was the Midland shot put champion. <laughs> <laughs> Doing it before uh, Oh dear. <laughs> it was uh, the first and last time that I managed to persuade her to compete. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You were telling us about your nephews, though. Yes. Um, they've all sort of come to the running sport late. My eldest nephew uh, was an extremely good footballer, um, played for uh, teams in the Welsh League. Um, but... Uh, he latterly he, he can 
do practically any sport, but one of the things he's just recently done is um, run the Marathon de Sable in North Africa, you know, the six day, six marathons day after day. And he finished just 50th out of over a thousand <laughs> runners. So, uh, and then the second um, nephew, he uh, runs marathons. The third one also started to run marathons. He, he actually started at life as a footballer. Used to play football with Michael Owen in the same uh, sort of local team, and he had actually trials with Newcastle when Kevin Keegan was the manager. Um, but he, he's sort of um, decided now that uh, marathon running is uh, something he likes doing, and he won the race to the Stones in his age group last year. It's the two-day race along mm. the south coast to the Stones, and he won that. He won his age group in that. The third, the fourth nephew um, does run, but uh, he, he was um, captain of the North Wales rugby under 18s and had trials for. Um, and was on the, in the Welsh under-18 rugby squad, went out to Australia to play rugby for Manly for a, 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 a sort of a, a season after he left uh, university and got a terrible injury because he was running forward to catch the ball. Um, Fijian was running backwards and the fellow's head hit my nephew's face and he shattered his cheekbone in his eye socket and... They had a major three-hour operation to put things back. He did play a bit after that, but decided that the risk was too great. Mm. So he, he does a bit of half marathoning. So they, they've all taken it up. Um, did you ever think you would see what you're looking at at the bottom end of Elm Avenue now, the sports village? No. When I first mm. came to Newark, we ran on the Grove <laughs> field where it was grass track. And because of some of the quarrying work, sand pits across the road, on the other side of London mm. Road, there'd been some subsidence and the track undulated a bit. And I can always remember John Wetton, who was the international uh, mile 1500 man, used to run for uh, Sutton in Ashfield. And he brought John Cooper, who was an international 400 metre runner, with him uh, to run on the Grove because there was Newark. Mansfield, Sutton in Ashfield and two Nottingham clubs and um, the 200 metres started and um, John Cooper sort of was flying into the lead but he hadn't allowed for the humps <laughs> on the Grove grass track <laughs> didn't pick his feet up and uh, <laughs> went sprawling on the track much to um, his consternation and our amusement at the time but uh, and then of course they built the um, cinder track and we moved down to where the in that little triangle where the railway line meets the allotments and they put a grass track on at that particular point and then we moved on to the cinder track and I didn't I'd never thought we'd see anything like we've got now it's and like, you've obviously been there you've been round it you've inspected hmm. it do your thoughts it's brilliant. I, 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 I just didn't think we'd ever get it going in Europe because all we were being told was, well, you don't need a track in Europe because Grantham's got one, um, Rad Rushcliffe's got one, um, Nottingham's got one, Mansfield's got one, Lincoln's got one, 
and I kept on trying to point out that it's not easy to get to Grantham Lincoln and things. The communications are not there for young children at late at night. It can't be done. That. And and this this these facilities they're not for us anymore, mm. but they are for the Amelia Crispins, the Joseph Monks, the, the Lauren mm. and the Tillys and, and all, all the youngsters that is now being pulled in. I, I, we talk to Lauren and, and Tilly every Tuesday night and, mm. and in their words, well, when was at the Grove, we used to get half a dozen. Now there's hundreds down here. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, you got if you've got the facilities, it just, just breeds success. Because when I first came to Newark, um, we didn't have any youngsters uh, coming to the club to train. Um, the chap who was then the uh, Dickie Dwyer, who lots of people knew, rugby club and everything, was stalwart of athletics and rugby, Magnus Schoolmaster, um, one of the original founders of New York Athletic Club. Uh, he used to bring lads along from the uh, school, and we just didn't have anybody. But now... <laughs> now watch it go. <laughs> yes, it's uh, but the one thing that Newark has always had are excellent, an excellent coaching team. Yes, yeah. I would have always had that. And all the youngsters, and the not so youngsters that we've had in this studio, have always said that the coaching team here at Newark are second to none. The facilities are rubbish, but the coaching <laughs> team are second to none. Well, if we hadn't had good coaches um, and the facilities we got, we we. <laughs> Without the good coaches, we we just wouldn't have existed. We'd have collapsed. Um, Where can Newark go now? I mean, the, yeah, we're going to have our own meetings. They're going to have actually home matches here. Um, mm. What's the future of Newark AC? Well, with the way in which the youngsters are coming through, it's good. The only problem that we've always had is that once they start leaving at 18 to go away to work, to get jobs, university. Not many of them come back. And, and Newark isn't a town that draws a lot of no. uh, outsiders to come you're in. Actually, you're actually standing alongside the rugby club and the hockey club with that statement. Mm. Yeah. Um, you're sort of shoulder to shoulder with them too. You see, I, I came. I, I was already an athlete. Alan Hughes came to work at the college. He was a uh, top-class athlete. Alec Horn came... He was uh, headmaster at uh, Swinderby Junior School. He was a top athlete, um, but and but we didn't, you know, we ha- we don't get mm. more than the odd one or two no. coming in. That's the big problem. But it's it's got to have a bright future. Owen, thank you so much, okay. Tony. Your final comment on a wonderful past hour. Yeah, I mean, I. Um, I, I, I can see why uh, this is this is as a listener rather than somebody who joins in with this. I can see why we have the kids on a Tuesday night. Last night was incredible because this we had some eleven-year-olds in who spoke like twenty-one-year-olds. It was absolutely fantastic. But I am of an age now where I just love to reminisce in the company of sports people, and and the way this. Uh, evening has gone over the last hour. A lovely, lovely picture in your head about the sort of you know growing up mm. with, with that sort of view and that those experiences during during the war out, out the window. And it's it's just been a, a, a story wonderfully told. It's been an absolute joy to be here. 
Gareth tells me that Owen has been a big influence in his life and not just on the athletics track, in life as as well. And um, you have been a pleasure to be with and a pleasure to know. And thanks for those comments, Gareth. And thanks, Gareth, very much for all the hard work that you've put in, which has enabled this show to happen tonight so i can't thank you enough gareth for that because i know you'll be listening um i really do owen it's been brilliant it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for giving a lifetime to newark athletic club but we really do thank you so much for that as i said richard byron has been in paul johnson has been in to see us and our next golden old day who was younger than you, um, Mr. Smith, um, is a young man... Can we have a went back? Is, is, is <laughs> a young man that has played a little bit of cricket and a little bit of rugby. He comes from Collingham. We know him as Dusty Hare. Yeah. It's, um, if, 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 if you're going to have legends of Newark in, then, then Dusty's got to be in that. And he's just uh, a, a remarkable... He's got a remarkable CV, but he's also a remarkable man and uh, a great, great friend of mine. It's been an honour to know over the years. Bless him. And only confirmed today, and, you know, I mean, people think this show just happens. Oh, God, Lord, no. This, this one... It's not even got a script. This one has been over two years trying to put together. Confirmed today for Easter Tuesday... A pair of footballing, Newark footballing legends. And I use the word legend, and Tony says I use it too often, and other people say I use it too often. Dave Hillier, Kevin Smith. Hillier and Masgay are coming into this studio to talk about their footballing lives. I doubt me and Tony even need to be here, to be quite honest, because <laughs> we certainly are not going to get a word in those ways. We hello and goodbye from us two, and the rest of it is going to be left with them two. That one's Easter Tuesday, and Easter tuesday special for you and and you know like tony says i love it when the kids come in but when these people that's given a life to local sport they are my heroes they really are because without them there wouldn't be any local sport it's as simple as that it really is tomorrow night it's strictly mick and tony plus one the plus one is a phone call to adam holland who is running between john o'groats <laughs> and land's end and he's going to turn around and run back God knows where he's going to be, but we'll try and find him. But talking of legends, there's another one coming up at 8 o'clock, the one and only Mr. Doug Ford. <laughs>